This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. AVI SPL is one of the largest pro AV integrators on the planet. But for the longest time, if I was asked if I knew anyone at that company specifically on the digital signage file, I'd say nope. As far as I knew, and the same for a lot of people involved in digital signage, AVI SPL was much more focused on traditional pro AV work like unified communications and control rooms. While AVI SPL delivered some digital signage projects, it wasn't a real focus. But that started to change a few years ago when the Tampa-based company spun up a new business unit called Experience Technology Group, or XTG. Now it has some 30 people working on projects driven by the impact of visuals and directly involving architects, designers, and creative shops. Now that's 30 people in a company that has 3,700 other staff, but the group works with some 300 customer-facing salespeople and gets pulled into opportunities and projects when clients start expressing interests or needs that are about more than just function like whiteboards and conferencing systems. I had a great, very thoughtful talk with Mark Coxon, an industry veteran who joined the company about a year ago and is one of XTG's business development directors. We get into both the science and emotional sides of experiential projects and how these kinds of projects work when they're guided by ideas and desired outcomes and not just the wow factor of big screens. Mark, what is your role at ABI SPL? Uh, I am a business development director on our XTG uh, division, which is our experience technology group. And uh, so what I do is I work with our regional account managers, as well as our partner ecosystem to identify opportunities to build amazing experiences. So your, your regional people would come across an opportunity, let's say it's a corporate workplace that says, we want to put a big ass LED display in our lobby. We don't know what to do or what to put on or anything else. What do we do? And and your regional guy might be, or woman might be, might have a kind of deer in the headlights sort of reaction and, and call you or somebody on your team and say, okay, I need help here. Yeah. So a lot of our opportunities do uh, arise within the regions themselves, right? Because AVI SPL is a, a huge corporation. We have uh, I think 300 plus sellers out in the marketplace across the world talking to clients, um, managing accounts where mm-hmm. they might do a lot more of the typical AV that you yeah. see out in the space, conference rooms and auditoriums, et cetera. And exactly right. Yeah, they, they'll come across something and customers say, oh, I think we want to add a wow factory to this lobby or we're thinking about um, thinking about building an experience center to show off some of our new innovation that we came out with this year. And so they'll engage our group, which is kind of an overlay to the whole company and, and bring us in. And we can really heart start to give, I guess, some, some form to, uh, to that process and make sure they get what they want at the end of it. 
So you have a biz dev role, but it sounds like uh, it, it, there's a fair amount of sales engineering and uh, front end consulting involved in it. Yeah. So our team is, um, it, it's funny, AVISPL isn't really known uh, in the market for experiential work, but we've done no. a lot of it. Okay. Um, we've, we've done a lot of it in pockets over the years for these customers, but it was never really organized under a division. And so that's why XTG exists. We've organized kind of this portfolio of work in this division and assigned um, a team of people. We have about 30 people on our team now mm. uh, that overlay the country. And that team consists of people like me, business development directors. Um, some of us come from different backgrounds. Some come from fabrication. Some come from the consulting world. Some like me come from you know all over the place within the industry uh, <laughs> from an integration perspective. And then we also have uh, technologists on the team whose job is really exactly what you said, to be um, uh, those people who are thinking about the art of the possible. All right, this, this customer's asked for this outcome. They have these people coming to their building. They want them to feel this. They want this actionable insight out of the space. And they're the ones who actually come up with the ideas on, like, what kind of technology can we use to execute this? And if we were to pull this off, what would it take for us to do that? And then they start to come up with kind of those rough sketches of what the technology would be to execute on that outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Uh, through the years, I, I've been asked, well, who do you know over at AVI-SPL? And I'll say nobody. <laughs> uh, from the context of digital signage, and I, you know, I, you, the company's been known as a very, very large company, very, very active, but uh, doing more if there's if this is the right term, traditional, uh, you know, AV work in corporate workplace, that sort of thing. And uh, as you said, pockets of activity in digital science, but nothing organized. So was 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 it kind of recognized within the company that we we need to kind of aggregate this and put put ourselves forward as being directly in this, as opposed to people discovering that oh, you do that too. Correct. Yeah. XTG's definitely a, a targeted uh, branding effort at consolidating this work and this expertise we have in things like executive briefing centers, museums, uh, welcome centers, visitor centers, uh, hall of fame experiences, et cetera, that we've done over the years for enterprise higher ed um, and really creating some, some emphasis around that type of work that we do for sure. Is, is there some, cross-pollination happening when you do that? In, in, and what I mean is uh, if you do ex like it's some sort of immersional experiential environment for a corporate workplace, do they then two years later say, oh, by the way, we need new video conferencing capabilities or new meeting room signs, that sort of thing. Do you do that? And vice versa that you know, you're already in there doing collaboration work and they say, we want to do something in our lobby with Wild Factor. Can you do that? Yeah, obviously, we see, we see both of those happen. Mm -hmm. um, places where we're brought in maybe to do some specialty work. And of course, the, the other work at that point seems like more low-hanging fruit, mm -hmm. um, you know, because it's, it's work that we excel at already and have a huge portfolio of um, as far as like auditoriums, meeting spaces, et cetera. And, and then, yeah, like you said, vice versa, you know, we're coming in and we're doing a lot of work. And you walk through this. You walk through this amazing lobby uh, where people are going to come in when their first experience before they come there to meet. So let's say somebody's bringing a customer into their building and they're gonna they're gonna pitch a multi million dollar you know uh, uh, sale with this customer that they have. 
you know, how are they defining what that experience is going to be within the building? And, you know, just asking that question sometimes, like, who's doing this space? I mean, this looks like mm-hmm. a like a customer-facing, marketing-driven space. And a lot of times, um, they don't know that we do that work. And so, yeah, we stumble upon it that way as well. Do, do you guys go into uh, prospective customers or existing customers pitching the idea of experiential spaces? Or are you really kind of operating off of their interest and initiative than what they're saying we're interested in this? Because I, I suspect it would be hard to pitch some somebody saying, you should have a big ass LED video wall in your lobby. Yeah. You know, I call that, you know, technology in, in search of an application. And that's mm-hmm. definitely not what we do. Right. So like, uh, there's a great, there's a great, uh, there's a great quote by Cedric Price, who was a mid-century architect says, technology is the answer, but what's the question? Mm-hmm. And that's really what my job is within the team and the business development team's job is we have, we have a few business development managers, but our job is really, what are you trying to accomplish? in this mm-hmm. space what what business outcomes are you trying to to uh, achieve when you're looking at building space we're in this weird mode right where a lot of companies are reevaluating what it means to have an office in general um, what it means to have physical space whether that be retail and you know we just saw like bed bath and beyond is looking at, at closing up and mm-hmm. citing online competition as one of the reasons like what does it mean to have place-based retail today and if we are going to build a space what should it be? And really starting at that, at that level. So I try to start with that, at that level with people all the time, even in enterprise. Um, the question isn't, what do we do with the lease that we have or this space that we have? That's, that's part, but that's the bridge. The real question is, if I had nothing, what would I build? Mm-hmm. And that's really the end goal of what you should be moving towards. And so a lot of times we really start breaking down the problem of, of, you know, what are the what what are the impacts that you hope to make by having a physical office or a physical retail location? And then how do we move backwards from that into how does that now affect what we design into the space, um, including the technology that's going to go into there? So it's really reversing that. If, if we go in and just and start telling people how cool it is to have an LED wall in their lobby, <laughs> um, you know, we're we're selling from the wrong perspective. But if somebody says, you know what, when when people come in here, um, you know, they come in here and they sit and they go into their phone. So they're waiting for a meeting. They come and sit in our lobby. Um, they start looking at their phone. All of a sudden, they're stuck in their email. They're thinking about the seven things they have to do when they get back to the office and they're already moving past our meeting. Mm-hmm. We want to create something that actually creates some anticipation, some foreshadowing that tilts them into uh had the anticipation of the meeting they're about to have and not pulls them out of our space and back into their work day. How do we accomplish that? Mm-hmm. And those type of conversations are much, much more fun to have. And that could result at the end in having a 400 you know, inch video wall in the lobby, or it could result in um, maybe taking physical objects that the company's made. If they're a, you know, an aerospace company, taking some of the innovations they have rocket nozzles and things, putting them on a shelf and letting people pick them up and play with them. And as they do, you know, content launches ambiently, you know, around the room as they as they interface with these objects, whatever that happens to be. But um, really starting with who is here? Why are they here? Mm-hmm. What are they interested in? And how do we engage them more um, so that when they leave, they remember being here and they actually take the actions we want them to take? So 
It's a yeah. much different approach than than screens first, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, as you might expect, get bombarded with emails and pitches and everything else uh, every day, talking about different projects and capabilities of companies. And I, I see the the words experience and immersive overused and abused quite a bit. And I'm I'm curious how you define immersive and how experience is defined because I, I get a sense that there's this idea that experiential and immersive means that, you know, you've got to have a video wall that's got gesture recognition and you're going to wave your arms in front of it and all these things are going to happen or there's synchronized lighting or God knows what. But from my point of view, there are times when uh, an experience is just something that tells you, uh, if you're confused, which way to go, <laughs> things like that. Something that just makes the space better. A hundred percent. So it, it's funny that you mentioned that because although I'm on an experienced team, me personally, you know, I'm a big fan of the calm movement. You know, how are we, how are we decreasing the amount of technology that we mm-hmm. use for, for mundane tasks or throughout the day to, to create these analog kind of tactile calm moments. Um, so I agree for, for me, the best definition of experience I've heard and one I tried to adhere to um, was by Brian Solis. He used to be at Salesforce. I think he's now at ServiceNow, but he's written a lot of books on experience economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, it, you know, an experience is an emotional reaction to a moment in time. And so, like you said, that, that doesn't have to be an overwhelming jaw-dropping experience. It could be relief, like you said, that now I know where to go, Right. Or, or it could be, uh, it could be a silent pause that allows you to reflect. Um, I think there are a lot of a lot of ways that you can create experience uh, for for a company. And for me, immersive, immersive just means that it's drawn the person in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be all encompassing. Are there ways to do that? Yeah. Um, you know, I I've given and I I'm going to give a, a course this year at at uh, Infocom on creating the new connection center. Um, I've given some some talks before on uh, utilizing biology to get deeper, uh, I guess, a deeper connection to your message. Mm-hmm. So things like engaging peripheral vision work because more of your brain turns on. Your your fight or flight response is activated when your peripheral vision is is being activated. And so, are there ways that we can use? you know, potentially waves of light to focus people inward on a screen or on a, a position in a, in a room? Are there ways to draw people through a space to a place that we want them to dwell? Um, you know, how do, we, how do we create experiences where we don't, um, uh, I guess, create congestion, right? Like putting a screen in the middle of the hallway. Um, it could be a good idea as long as you're not encouraging people to stand there for 15 minutes as long mm-hmm. as the dwell time there is 15, 20 seconds, et cetera. So I think experience is also just, just how people interact with the space themselves. And, and immersion is a combination of all of those things. Um, so uh, engaging more senses always creates more, uh, more memory, but that doesn't have to be an active participation either. Right. So you know, I, I think the things that are often overlooked in experience are, are opportunities to create, um, you know, if it's movement of air, if it's gentle waves, if it's mechanical movement in a ceiling, if it's an ambient soundscape that fills the space instead of white noise, 
Um, all of these things can lend to experience, but they're nothing that somebody stops and focuses on. They're things that happen in the background that enhance what's going on without the person experiencing it really uh, focusing on it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, I, I, I'm listening to that and thinking, the, I'm wondering what the people on the other side of the table how they're responding to that. I, I suspect some of them are leaning forward and very interested and other ones are going, that sounds expensive. You, you do get that. I mean, you can, <laughs> you can definitely get that. And I think that's why, so I, you know, I think that's why the co-design process is so important and not coming in with an idea of what you want to sell. Like earlier you're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, me coming in and telling somebody why this experience is going to be important for them. Again, that's me pushing something upstream that I've got an idea about. Uh, I always say my best my best tool in a meeting is a blank piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Because if I sit down and really listen to what people do in the space, what they're trying to accomplish, all of those things, I'll, I'll pick up little notes. Um, I had a customer the other day who, you know, the architect had put together a, a mood board of what this space wanted to feel and look like. They built, you know, a lot of these common spaces that they're talking about in architecture, we and us spaces, right, is mm-hmm. what they're calling them. Um, where they're building these these cafes with a lot of biophilia and wood and stone and um, all of these things, and they're like, well, we want to do sound masking in here, and like, okay, well, that that's that's great. So obviously, you want to you want to keep the sound from moving back and forth. But what you've really created here is almost kind of an urban park or a or a community park type feel in this space. So mm-hmm. instead of just flooding this with white noise or pink noise, you know, why not create a nature scape or something like that that'll also keep the noise transfer down, but but really reinforce this idea that you're outside in this natural environment as opposed to the hush of a quiet office or the, the hush of a pink noise or white noise air chiller or something that a lot of times you put in an office space where maybe you're trying to focus on deep work and not on connection, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just really listening to those things. And when you, when you start to identify those, um, when people start to, uh, I guess, self-align, with certain ideas as you're walking through what the different pieces are, they're more invested in that. And then when you come into that space where the cost comes, they're really then weighing that against the impact as opposed to uh, comparing it to what four speakers playing white noise would cost them. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect, a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at screenfeed.com. Is it a uh, kind of like that that book about it takes a village in terms of these these kinds of projects where it's super important to have the the architect involved, the engineers involved, all the different players who uh, you know kind of collaborate on a, on a finished project as opposed to you know just the AV team coming in and executing this part of it? A thousand percent. So many times, you know, when we're brought in, what 
what we end up doing and what I end up doing with, with clients when they ask for um, an experience like this is one of the first things we want to do is, is almost a gaps and overlaps kind of analysis with them. You know, there is an ecosystem of partners that is necessary to create an experience. Um, you know, you're going to have somebody that's creating custom content. You may have two or three companies creating custom content. You may have to have a company that specializes in video and live action, live actors, et cetera. Maybe somebody that specializes in creating interactive, uh, you know, interactive user interfaces, et cetera, for touch screens and all of those things. So you have these content creators. Um, you do typically have somebody as, as an architect in this space that's obviously defining what the space looks like. Many times you have an experiential design firm doing the story, right? Like, what's the strategy? What's the story? What are we actually, how are we walking people through this space um, that's working with the marketing team in the company? And then you have, you know, custom fabricators that are building all this set work that the audiovisual goes into to create the look and feel that everybody has drawn down on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So it does take a village. And many times that's, that's part of what we do is we educate what, it, what, what players are involved in a successful experience. Um, who are, the, who are the stakeholders that you have involved now? Uh, do we need to get more stakeholders involved? Um, you know, many times it might come through IT because they see it as a technology buying exercise. And you really find out that marketing in the C-suite and human resources need to be involved because this is, uh, this is a system that's meant to reconnect the employees of the company to the mission of what they're doing every single day in the space. And now all of a sudden that becomes a much, level, a much higher uh, strategy level conversation on how it's executed. And so it does take a village and it takes a, you know, it takes a great ecosystem of partners. I know that word's overused too. Um, I've used it twice, but it takes a, it takes this great array of partners, which is one of our core strengths is, is um, that we have a, we have a partnership manager that works specifically on um, making sure that we have a broad array of partners that we can introduce into these projects. Uh, with our customers to make sure that none of these gaps left untouched um, and that the experience we deliver at the end is not just uh, a piece of technology installed on a wall. Because the technology itself, you don't get the value out of it when it's installed in the building. Mm -hmm. you, you extract the value out of the system. The ROI comes from the use of the system over time to drive the outcomes that you were looking for. And so you know, thinking of this as a construction project where I delivered the 400 inch LED screen, so we're done, and the customer got what they paid for, they haven't actually extracted any value out of that piece of equipment yet. It's a depreciating asset until they play something on it that gets them the result that they want. And so we really try to focus on that as opposed to, um, as opposed to just our one part. Mm -hmm. And our, like I said earlier, we have our, our team you know, our team from a business development perspective, we walk through those things, our technologists design the technology, but we also, when we take on a project, um, we have a program manager and they're a lot like, uh, they're involved from the beginning, they listen to the intent. And just like in the programming phase of architecture, when you talk about what is the intent of the space and, and what are the ways that we're gonna actually make some design decisions to facilitate that, the program manager really carries that spirit of the job. Um, and make sure that those partner handoffs, et cetera, are all going well and that everybody's involved in delivering the final result. And so we built a process by which we deliver that and we believe in it. So yeah, it does take a village for sure. What, what are the breadth of services? I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of one company much, much smaller than AVI SPL, but they can do 
the full experience, including like metal fabrication and creative design, all that. So they can pretty much go from inception to delivery out of the same shop as opposed to using partners. But for a large company with a whole bunch of partners in play, how much do you want to own and how much do you want to kind of you know, cross pollinate and, and work together on things? Um, we've, we've doubled down on partnership when it comes to that. Our core, mm-hmm. our core strength is delivering technology, right? I mean, that's, that's why our business was built and that's what we do best. And so we focus on the design and implementation of those technology systems. And for the other pieces, we partner. So, you know, we, we don't build a lot of content. We do have a division called Video Link that does some content for production, like uh, for you know video production for meetings, etc. Mm-hmm. But as far as you know, are we going to uh, create computer animations for how our power plant works? No, we're going to bring in a partner that knows how to do that, that does that every day um, to do that. Are we going to um, define for the company uh, what their story should be based on their seven customer personas? Um, no, we're going to work with their marketing department. And if they need some help really coming up with a storyline, we're going to bring in one of our branding and creative strategy partners to to help with that because that's what their core skill set is. So we try to focus on what our operational you know, excellence is, and that is delivering uh, technology systems. But we, we're trying... Um, you know, but from the standpoint of the way that we approach the sale, we're we're not engaging in a process that's, uh, I guess, designed to sell a particular technology, mm-hmm. right? So it's the difference between focusing on what we're really good at and and letting the the cart drive the horse. You know, we, I I love the Maslow quote: when you all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. We try not to approach <laughs> this with like, well, we need to sell six hundred extra square meters of led this quarter so you know this customer is going to get a video that's not the way that we approach this we don't approach this from a technology centric lens but we know where where we play well and what we uh what we deliver value in the market with and that's the technology portion i I wrote uh, recently about a company that was maybe not pivoting but uh evolving into doing av as a service uh, with the argument being that uh, a lot of end user customers would rather just have the the whole project done as an operating line item as opposed to all the upfront costs of capital and they don't want to worry about you know recurring support and all that they just rather pay a number and let somebody else do it is is that something that comes up and that you offer uh yeah it comes up all the time i mean i think customers are always looking um at ways to number 1 you know how that is a great question how much of this do you want to own um, from a content update perspective, from how you manage uh, refreshes, from from even how you buy a system, like you said, uh, you know, what is that? Is it an operational cost, or is it a capital expenditure? Is it a construction project, or is it an ongoing corporate um, cost month over month? Um, you know, one place that we see this very specifically right now is we're doing some virtual production and and XR. Uh, opportunities for clients, especially in the corporate space where they're wanting to elevate their all hands meetings or their product launches or any of those type of things. Um, many times they're already buying those services in an operational uh, cost uh, you know, format where they're going out and renting a studio or they're hiring a production company to come in and do these meetings for them. So they don't want to take on a capital expenditure. They want that to continue to be an operational cost. So 
yeah, through things like, um, you know, creating a, a plan for leasing equipment by having uh, a breadth of services on site. Like we have on-site managed services where we can embed an, an AVISPL employee in, a, in one of our businesses to run a center per se, or to run a virtual production studio for the customer so that they just come in, the stakeholders come in, they they talk about the product they want to talk about, and somebody's running all the front of house, back of house, doing the streaming out to the to the uh, to the other participants, et cetera. Um, yeah, we offer all of that, and that's that's one of the great things about working with somebody like us is because we do have such a large footprint, um, we do have such a presence. Um, is you know we we have four thousand employees across the world. We have on-site managed services available. We have. Uh, the ability to buy things on customers' behalf and lease them, et cetera. So, you know, that's that's one of the great advantages of someone with a big footprint like us is we have the ability to do those things. Mm -hmm. What are the references project reference projects that you you bring up? So you're you're sitting in a meeting and uh, they say, okay, what have you guys done? You know, impress me. <laughs> what do you come back with? Yeah, you know, there's a there's a there's always a few that we show. I mean, I I don't. Um, you know, Museum of the Future in Dubai is, oh, is yeah, an amazing, yeah, yeah. is an amazing project that we did. And people are like, you guys did that project? I'm like, yeah, we did that project um, and delivered it through our Dubai office, which is an amazing office. Um, that team is is hands down and you know an awesome team. But like, we show projects like that because you know that's a that's a space where people pretty much ride a an elevator like as a space capsule up into a space station. Um, and then come back to Earth in a future state, right? And the museum architecturally is beautiful. It's an oval with a hole in the middle of it. You even wonder how it suspends itself, you know, mm -hmm. um, as well as just all the different things that are in there. I mean, there's a there's a touch interface where the where a half globe, a half sphere actually swells up out of a flat table, and you can use it to to articulate the Earth. I mean, like who's ever seen an interface like that before, right? So. Obviously, there were some great creative partners involved in the content and in that fabrication, but that's a that's obviously a showcase project for us um, that we talk about a lot. And then we have we have visitor centers, um, executive briefing centers. A lot of our executive briefing centers are are very uh, are um, very impressive. Uh, Honeywell and Charlotte is a is a beautiful center with a, everything from transparent LED to kiosks to volumetric displays with physical artifacts to you know, full uh, a full four wall cave immersion room with a touch interface in the in the middle to navigate through three D environments, and so we show a lot of uh, we show a lot of those pieces. We try to show projects that have, I guess, a variety of execution styles, mm -hmm. right? So that not everything needs to be a touch screen. Yeah, you know, it's uh, to to show someone that you could have three D printed objects on a table, and as you pick up those objects. You know the video. The video changes, and as you articulate that object, it can actually affect different different parts of the video to to launch. I mean, those kind of things are really really cool, and um, you know, just show people that it doesn't just have to be a touch a touch screen on a wall. We're not looking to put a big black rectangle on the on the finish that you spent six months you know working on the architect with. We're going to make sure that's integrated into the space in a proper way. Yeah, I'm a big fan, fan of uh, subtlety and, you know, just little things like presence sensors that cost a few bucks to, you know, incorporate into a design. But, you know, you walk within a certain range and it changes what's on a screen. And, oh, how'd that happen? And it's, you know, it's it's great, and but it, but it's not fancy. You're not issuing a press release about it. 
Yeah, or or things you know like projects we've been working on some projects where they're talking about using you know real time location services as people walk through the building. So they they get badged in or they get a card and that card has a profile that maybe they've they've entered in and as they walk through the space the the experience is personalized slightly to them you know based on their profile or um, or using things like data generated art you know humans are are great at pattern recognition um, and so if you're you're putting audio visual in a space that people work in every day or people go into the office every day and these screens are in the background you don't want them to be counting down 15 seconds to red and then 32 seconds until the screen goes blue with white text and then five four three two one cue the cue the video of you know the kid running through the park um you know that almost becomes like water torture at some mm. point, right? It's just the constant dripping of this repetitive content that goes on in the background. So, how do we how do we use things like occupancy occupancy sensors, time of day, weather outside, all of those things to create um, you know effects on these screens that are more ambient in times that they're not being actively used for customer communication mm. or for employee communication. So, you know, a lot of those things are really cool. So, like what you said, that subtlety. And really thinking of, and really thinking of um, just the different moments. You know, these are canvases that we can use for multiple things. Sometimes they need to be quiet and soothing for people to do their work. Other times they need to be to be loud and inspiring um, to get somebody's attention. And being able to design something that does that and know, you know, who to partner with on the back end from a hardware perspective for something like a content management system that can be on a schedule or can use sensor based. Uh, inputs to trigger different modes is is really important. Our last question: Are you sensing or seeing any kind of a shift in the marketplace in terms of rising interest in a particular thing? I know you mentioned uh, experience centers; those have been around for a while. But I, I, that's an area where I, I get a sense because of the pandemic and everything, they're kind of elevating in importance because you don't have as many people in the offices. Yeah, no, I think I think experience centers are becoming more and more prominent. Um, customers are are seeing that if they can bring um, their customers in, companies are seeing if they can bring their customers in and create a memorable, relevant experience around their value story. They close um, them. That 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 pays dividends for them. Yeah, I think we're seeing uh, more and more interest, like I said, in in virtual and extended uh, reality, virtual production, extended reality stages. Um, for elevating corporate communications. If every single one of your communications goes out in, in 16 squares, you know, on a, on a VTC call, you know, how important, how do you, how do you punctuate uh, those meetings so that the important ones are elevated and look different, feel different, and actually engage people in a different way? Uh, we're seeing more and more of that. I will say, honestly, the, the big push is this, is that the the i guess the the challenge of space the challenge of physical space in a world that becomes more and more online we have to get away from the idea of just utility because utility is going to be provided more conveniently virtually mm -hmm. i i can i can easily join a meeting from my kitchen table i can easily buy a pair of pants on amazon and so if we're just looking for the utility of work or the utility of shopping or whatever that place is built to do, 
if we're focusing on utility, we're always going to lose to the online experience because it's more convenient and the utility is the same. Mm-hmm. So we really have to we really have to focus on the personal experience. And Gensler did an experience index on uh, public space a few years back, pre-pandemic. But people are in multiple modes when they go shopping, right? People are in the, the task-based mode of finding something to buy, but they're also in a mode of exploration. They're in a mode of connection. They're in a mode of aspiration. Who do I want to be? What do I want to be? Uh, I want to be inspired. Um, they're looking for cultural connection. There are all these other motivations at play. And it's the same when people come to interact in an office, when they join their team, um, when they go to a movie theater versus watching something on Netflix. Uh, there's a reason movie theaters haven't died. It feels different mm-hmm. to watch a movie in a movie theater, not just because of the scale of the screen or the audio, but because it feels different to be in a room having a shared experience with other people, hearing their reaction to something, hearing when they go silent, when they laugh, when they cheer. Um, those are things that we can really build experience around. And so I think companies are seeing that space is no longer, you know, I always say like technology has technology has advanced to a space where technology is usually not the limiting factor. Mm-hmm. The, so technology is no longer the huge challenge. Um, space isn't a huge challenge to design a space or to be able to build a space that facilitates these things. So really now we are in a challenge of, um, you know, getting somebody back to the office, getting somebody in a mall is a human centric problem. That's a human centric exercise. And if we don't start with experience design that uh, addresses the human motivation of why they would go somewhere and we just, we just address the utility of what, how big does a store need to be and how big does a screen need to be for somebody to read the text, we're never going to solve a human-based problem on why is space relevant. And so I, I think companies and customers are starting to see this more and more and more. And if we can start talking about what is the human experience and then how do we use the space and the technology to facilitate that? It's just a different way to solve the problem, right? Um, we have to flip the model on its head. We can't start with a square building, add technology, and then hope people come and use it in the way that we designed it. That's not, that's not experience design. Hmm. All right, Mark, thank you very much. Uh, very interesting chat. Hey, thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 169 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 169 is not a press release republishing mill like a lot of this stuff out there. If something makes it on 169, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 69 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 169, the blog and the podcast, are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house, located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.